Welcome to the lounge. Today I've got a super special treat for you. I've got Kenny Hughes. He's been all over Misdirected Mark talking about Decima, a project that is currently kickstarting. But Kenny does a whole bunch of other stuff. She does the Happy Jack Podcast Network. Um, I should say she started it, which is awesome. Um, she does cosplay. Uh, she does a bunch of other great stuff. We talk about her other game that she's done. So, um, yeah, we have a great chat. You hear me geek out a little bit, which is something I, mean, I guess I do it all the time. So, you know, you're probably used to it. But, uh, hey, oh, and a special treat for you, Lounge Lizards, right at the end. For anybody listening, the voice that you're about to hear, uh, if you listen to the Misdirected Mark Network, is going to sound familiar um, because um, I think uh, I think she's been on uh, basically every show, at least every show that we have uh, uh, people on. Um, so I've got Kimmy Hughes here um, from from Golden Lasso Games and Happy Jacks, the creator of the uh, kick successfully kickstarted uh, Decima. Um, welcome, Kimmy Hughes. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on here. Um, I, uh, I, you've, you've had a chance to talk a lot about Decima, and, um, and I, I, I'm sure it's your, your baby, and I'm sure you love it. But I, but <laughs> I have to imagine that, uh, you know, you're not going to mind talking about a few other things that you do. Yeah, I'm, I, much as I love talking about it, I'm thrilled to talk about it. I am very excited to talk about other things as well. <laughs> well, so uh, then, then this is this is the thing I'm kind of most excited. It, 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 again, I love Decima. I really want. <laughs> I can't wait to get my hands on it and and play with it and use it as a tool for my gaming. <laughs> that being said, the thing I most wanted to talk to you about is um, not that you're a cosplayer. <laughs> um, and not that you're a cosplayer that plays one of my favorite comic book characters of all time, uh, Big Barda. Yes. But a cosplayer who your version of Big Barda for Bombshells became <laughs> the official one for DC yes. Comics. <laughs> yes. Um, That's so... amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it's something I still like geek out over. Um, yeah, I've it? been cosplaying. Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, no, uh, go ahead. I, I'm I'm interested to hear uh, how this how this happened. Well, I've been cosplaying for a while. Um, I started in like 2010, 2011, right before like cosplay became like a, a big mainstream thing. So. Uh, and I was, you know, I love Wonder Woman. That's where Golden Lasso Games came from. If you want to look at my cosplay, I'm Golden Lasso Cosplay. It's a whole Wonder Woman branding thing. Um, but I also really love Big Barda too. Um, and so I, I've done her uh, her traditional outfit. I learned how to do uh, scale mail for it. So I actually have like the full blue scale, metal scale mail bodysuit that I wear underneath the armor that I've made, um, a giant boots. So I'm like six, two in it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she's just such a fantastic character. Um, but when the bombshell statues started coming out, it was like before there were plans for comics or anything else, they were just these collectible statues and they only had, 
I think there were like four of them at the time and they had some others that were like sketched out. Um, and it was, it just like took cosplay by storm. All these, I think they had Wonder Woman, they had Harley Quinn. Um, Poison Ivy, I know she was pretty. Yeah, I think they had, they had a Poison Ivy one and then they had a, a Hawk Girl one, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, with like the jet pack thing. So there was a couple of them and then there was some other artwork floating around for some other ones. And a big group of my cosplay friends like were getting it together for Comic-Con because that's a big thing. Like we're, we all live in Southern California. So we do these massive groups for Comic-Con and they had like 10 people in it and they reached out to me and they're like, Hey, do you want to be in this group we're doing? You know, and they already had a Wonder Woman. So I was like, okay. And then I was looking at it all. I'm like, Hey, do you mind if I come up with my own design? Cause none of the designs that were left were really characters that I you know, was super crazy about. They were fine, but it's like, eh. And they were like, sure, yeah, I, you know, come up with something. I was like, okay, I'm going to do a Barda. Um, and then I was sitting there, and I spent the next couple of months planning it out. Um, DC Comics actually came and did a DC All Access uh, show where they came and showed my process of me making this. Oh, wow. Um, but they didn't, yeah, but it was totally random. Like, they hadn't seen the design or anything yet. Um, and they were just doing it for multiple cosplayers. They do stuff like that every year before Comic-Con to kind of, like, ramp up hype about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, the people they sent didn't know anything about Big Barda, so I was having to explain a lot of it. <laughs> but um, so it was just this side thing that totally happened. So I thought that was going to be like the highlight of my Comic Con, right? Um, like this this video that came to my studio before. And then I, you know, I, I make this outfit, and I just love Big Barda so much. So I put all this detailing into it. Um, I got this um, like vintage. Um, uh, I think I think it's German like pilot's cap mm -hmm. um, from a, from a military supply store because they're you know it was from World War II and it was there's just all these things that were like you know symbolic of her having been in the female furies and then turning to good and becoming a hero um, you know that sort of represented that for me and it's got like this pinstriping that very close like it sets if you look at it closely it kind of looks like or gives the impression of the scale mail vibe because I didn't want just straight blue. I wanted there to be some sort of patterning or texturing because that's such a big deal in all her artwork is even if it's just drawn on scale mail, like there's a pattern to the blue. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm getting way deep in it, sorry. That's okay, <laughs> no, I'm all about um, So, I, you know, I spent all this time designing this outfit. Um, I made it, it's very military inspired. There's like this little coat, but it's still got the corset. So it's like, like pin-up-y and these little, little shorts with it, very 50s pinup-y look. Um, so I went to Comic-Con, it was really great. People were like freaking out because they were like, oh, they made a Barda. I was like, no, they haven't made a Barda, but they should, they totally should. Um, and then we went, at one point we got asked to go on the stage at uh, the DC Comics booth, which they do all the time. They like, they have cosplayers up there multiple times a day. So in like, you know, four of, or I think the first day was just four of us because everyone else was still arriving, um, got there. And we were like on the stage posing and people were taking pictures of us. And this guy comes up to me in this weird suit. It's um, it's got like Batman print fabric all over it. it huh. It's very, very cheesy and odd. And I have no idea who he is. Um, and then uh, he like hands me his card and his name's Jim. And he's like, yeah, I'm in charge of the, of the, the bombshells line right now at DC. I love this design. And he's evidently a huge big Barda fan too. He's like, you nailed it. You got everything perfect. And we started like talking and I started explaining all the stuff on the outfit. And, um, and so he's like, okay, okay. Uh, 
and he wrote down my name and my contact info. He's like, I'm going to call you and get in touch with you after Comic-Con. I was like, okay, cool. I didn't really like think that it was for kids. He said, oh yeah, we have a barter we're designing. Um, so I just thought he was going to geek out or something. Cause sometimes, sometimes they make friends with cosplayers. It's not like unheard of. Sure. Um, yeah. So, and then I saw him again the next day and we were there with the bigger group. There's like 11 of us or something that was crazy. And, uh, then he's like, oh, hey, yeah, I talked to them and we're interested in like maybe having your design be Barda's design. So I like stopped talking. I'm just kind of like staring at him because I didn't know what to say. <laughs> and I'm like, so, and like all these other girls around me are all dressed as, uh, as bombshells are like, what did he say? It's like, oh. So we're all freaking out and we all go have margaritas for lunch and stuff. And then like I try and like be cool for the rest of Comic Con because that was like Saturday. Um, and then, yeah, we, they got in touch and I got to go down and it's weird seeing like pictures of yourself on like a sketchboard. It's very strange. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was fantastic. It's very cool. That's awesome. That is so yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I, I love the fact that it's, and Big Bart is like, like kind of that if there's a, if there's a DC niche line, like she's mm -hmm. on that line, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, she's kind of been around for for a long time. Um, I, I guess if you know the new gods, you know who who Big Barda is. But it's so cool that it's that um, I, I, I I don't know. I feel like you you walked that line perfectly and were like, yeah, look, I'm awesome. And they're like, yeah, you're awesome. Let's make that happen. <laughs> it was very cool. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, I guess they did eventually use the design. The design they were doing was like a, a roller derby. Okay. Um, so they eventually used that design in like one or two of the comics. She was like in a roller derby or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's weird to have what is ostensibly like little figurines of me, which is cool and weird. It's like one of those things you're like, yeah, someday. And then you like don't really think that's going to happen. Especially like in your early thirties, you're like, yeah, I think I've passed my my action figure days, but no. <laughs> it's it's one of those weird things, and this isn't this isn't the same at all. But um, if I if I may allow my my own anecdote yeah. real quick, um, years ago I was working at the Apple Store, um, and I worked there for for a while, and I helped out this guy with his email because his email wasn't coming through. And I basically mm -hmm. just like deleted his his um, his email and and helped him reset it and it worked and it was great. And he was like, "Thanks so much." And I'm like, "Great, yeah, you know, well, have a great day." And I'm a big fan because it was Matt Stone from South Park. Oh, oh, that's cool. And I didn't say anything before that, but I was like, "I'm a big mm -hmm. fan." He realized like, "Oh, he knew who I was the whole time." Yeah, you were just cool. cool about it. Yeah. So. Um, Years later, um, I come into work one day, and I wasn't really, like, watching TV at the time. And mm -hmm. somebody says, uh, you were on South Park last night. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, it was you. It was like, when you, when you first started at the store, you were on South Park last night. And I'm like, <laughs> I that's not possible, you know. So it was the, it, there's a South Park episode where uh, they go to the, the Apple store, and they're dealing with all the stuff. And they were dealing mm -hmm. with people at the Genius Bar. And there's this guy, and I'm like, hey, he doesn't really look like me. 
you know, this must be who they're talking about. He had kind of had this long mm-hmm. hair. And then he calls for this guy to get more help. And this guy comes in and he's got like my exact goatee and like <laughs> my exact like pulled back hair and everything. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, it's so very it's not, similar actually. It's, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I mean, like Matt Stone didn't come find me and was like, I want to make, I want to make you immortal. But, um, yeah, but that's, um, it, it's, it's, it's cool to have that, that stuff, but it's a weird thing to suddenly realize like, Oh my God, did you know, that's, yeah. that's what somebody, somebody made a thing from me. I think, um, yeah. I'm not sure. At least, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Although they, they made me sign a thing. Like I like, they don't give me credit for it or any of that stuff. Like uh-huh. if I wanted to like whip out the contract that they had me sign, like I have a copy of that as proof, but, mm-hmm. but like they that's very much like DC and all these big companies. They're like, we're going to just take credit for everything. Yeah. But enough people saw it. And my stuff was all out there. Like that was kind of the funny thing later. Um, cause they're like, yeah, you know, we're, we, we're going to make sure we, you know, we own the design now, blah, blah, blah. You can obviously still cosplay it, all these things. But, um, they'd actually made that DC all access before any of that contract stuff was signed. So they documented with their camera crew, me making the outfit before they ever like, so I'm like, yeah, well, I've got that proof too. So that's exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course a big company is going to be like, oh, you don't yeah. get to keep this credit, but. Um, I, I actually, this, this kind of brings me into what I really wanted to, to kind of chat about with you, which, which was comic books in general, because mm-hmm. I love comic books. I grew up on comic books. Um, yeah, people will ask me, what's my favorite comic book character? I'm like, Beta Ray Bill. And they're like, they'll look at me blank and I'll be like, <laughs> I don't That's know. A, that is a very specific answer. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty specific. I, I have yeah. a weird feeling that in the next couple of years, people will be like, I love Beta Ray Bill. So, um, yeah, for a for years, my favorite character was Beta Ray Bill. My second favorite was Rocket Raccoon. Um, oh. and then Zatanna was my third. And yeah. now everybody knows who Rocket Raccoon is. Um, yeah. Zatanna is going to be huge at some point in the near future, I'm sure. Um, Hopefully, yeah. But, um, and then, like, when people are like, what's your favorite comic book series? I always say Legion of Superheroes because I love the Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So I'm all over the place. I'm not like a Marvel or DC. I like, I like good writing and yeah. good art and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah, you know all, you've known all these characters that I'm throwing out there, obviously. <laughs> um, which means you're, you're in, the, in, in it. Um, yeah. Talk to me about, like, how, how comics, how you got started in getting into comics and stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, I was a kid, I was like seven or eight. Um, and, uh, I got this like hand-me-down box of comics from a family friends. Um, like he was heading to college and like, he took all his like nice comic books, but he had like all his like grungy comic books or stuff that he got ripped or whatever. So he gave them to us, to me and my, my sister. Um, she was still a little bit too little to appreciate or you know, have actual paper items. But uh, so I got this box and I just got to dig through it. And there was a ton of stuff in there. Like I still have like almost all of them. Um, There's a bunch of George Perez Wonder Woman in there, which just blew my mind. Like that's really where I was like, who is this character? Because this is long before they had like Wonder Woman. Well, they had had Wonder Woman cartoons and then they disappeared for like my childhood era. Um, And then they hadn't come out with anything. 
and it was a few years before we got like Batman the Animated Series and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that was that was part of my childhood, but a little bit later. Um, so it's like there's there was I lived in an all woman household. My dad wasn't around, so I got teased a lot. I've always been really tall and athletic. I've been very competitive in sports my whole life. So then suddenly there's this Amazon who is tall and athletic and you know, lives in this all woman islands. They don't need any men, you know, things like that. And it was just something that resonated so strongly with me at that point. Like everyone loved her and respect her and she was wise, but also badass and beautiful. And just like all the things I, I wanted to be like were in this one character. Um, there was also like, like New Mutants was in there. There's a bunch of um new teen titans which is no longer new but they were new then <laughs> so there's like all these different things in this box just like random things but that was the thing that i just like remember and like i still have that old one on, that i had there and i've collected since then most of the george perez wonder woman line um they're on like the little plastic protectors and stuff um but just it was sort of like revolutionary for me because mm -hmm. i didn't have anyone in my household who read comic books at all like i was we were very book people things like that so i read a lot but suddenly like this is just amazing it was just so cool um and that was just like where kind of my love of it was born and you know i'd go and save up my allowance and buy comics and all these different things so it was just kind of amazing it was super fun do you think that that um that you've been kind of influenced by comics as you've gotten into the other hobbies that you've gotten into? Oh, I think absolutely. I mean, obviously um, cosplay, but <laughs> cosplay. Yeah. Cosplay is like the very cool, but I, I didn't get into cosplay till like I was very well into my adult years. Mm. I was actually much older than most cosplayers when I started cosplaying, I was like my late twenties. Um, but yeah, I think the, the visual medium of it, I was, I got very into, um, like uh, film and video production for a long time. I actually went to college for a little while for that. I think that was very indicative and inspired by um, kind of the graphic layout of comic books. And um, I always had a really good eye for it. I ended up not going into it professionally because I just, oh man, especially for women, it's a really difficult industry. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> There's a lot of other things I love, but um, that was always very informed by that. And I found I was very good at editing together like action sequences. And I think partially because of my love of comic books and my familiarity with how to edit something together based on seeing, you know, the panels of comics. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost like it's easy to build a, um, uh, Oh, I can't think it's, it's a video term. You'll think of it before I do. Uh, it's Storyboard? Almost, yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's easy to like build that in your head as you're, as you're going along. Um, yeah, but there's also there's a con continuity to action sequences that even like if you watch some modern comic book movies, they don't do super well. Mm -hmm. um, so that you can very like even though they're very quick shots, you can still very easily process what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and this when you're look, watching comic book movies and action movies is kind of for me is one of the things I look for. It's like like random shots all from different angles you get kind of you know you can follow what's happening but like the great ones are ones where you can cut between different shots from similar angles so you can really follow the movement almost like a dance that's um it, yeah and those aren't sometimes you'll see one of the, one of the superhero movies that's cut like that but mm -hmm. lately i've seen more non-superhero movies that have that like 
oh yeah, like that's somebody who is using really good storyboarding techniques to tell the story. And yeah. And yeah. Um, that's, that's fantastic. Now at, at some point you got into role-playing games. <laughs> yes. Let's talk uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, that was sort of a, a long process. I tried <laughs> d and I don't even rem- remember what edition it was in junior high. Um, and like, you know, most junior high kids and my friends, we didn't really have enough, uh, attention span and there was no adult helping us to like really process D&D. So we were middling successful at it. Um, <laughs> we ended up most of the time like starting and then ending up like getting bored and playing video games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I got really into uh, video games basically, like like uh, especially like MMOs. Uh, I started with Ultima Online back when it was like, oh, yeah. the I know, right? Way back in the day. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but I was like one of those like hardcore role players in there that everyone made fun of. Um, I was actually in a guild that I was like one of the elders in it or whatever that was, uh, we role played basically elves and we spoke in Quenya, which is one of the elven languages in Lord of the Rings. Um, so that's not really something you can add to a resume though. Like, hey, I speak Quenya or type Quenya. I don't, couldn't speak it, but I can type it. Um, <laughs> and then, so I just kind of progressed through like, then there's like, uh, you know, the, the the MMO evolution that happened, ending up finally in like World of Warcraft with the most recent one and playing a bunch of other video games along the way. Um, and then on, when fourth edition came out, me and a bunch of my friends, because uh, I work at the, or I, at the time I worked at the Renaissance Fair, um, we found ourselves like talking about like role-playing and role-playing games specifically um, between our shows, because we were in a bunch of bands um, at the Renaissance Fair. And one of the guys is like, hey, this new edition's coming out. You know, we don't all have to buy like a gazillion books to catch up or have all the stuff for, you know, for D&D anymore. Because all of us were kind of like old role players who'd fallen out of the hobby. And the big thing that kept us from jumping back in was you had to buy like 50 books to be able to play that current edition of D&D. Um, kind of like when there's a comic book run and you're just like, oh, okay, well... I have no idea what's happening. I'd have to buy like a ton of comic books to catch up. But yeah. when they, you know, they do a, oh, a reboot, then you're like, oh, okay, I can jump in again. Um, so yeah, so we we got a D&D game together. It very quickly went way out of hand. Um, <laughs> I think at one point we finally had like nine or 10 people in this game. So it was, yeah, if you played fourth edition, that's like nightmare because the so combat, your, combats are crazy. Like they're so long and it's just, Oh man, but you know, we were all excited to be back in the hobby. Um, that's actually when Happy Jack started because that was the same group. We were all Renfair musicians that were bored and we happened to have a recording studio because we recorded CDs for our music and we're like, hey, let's get drunk and talk about D&D 4th edition. That sounds great. People would love to hear us do that. And then weirdly enough, people did um, actually enjoy that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then from there we kind of branched off. We obviously do not play fourth edition anymore. Um, we've actually, you know, we play tons of different systems now and IGM and made my own game and I have a gaming company now. So that kind of spiraled out of control. I seem to collect hobbies, honestly. <laughs> I know, I know that feeling very well. I do that yeah. same thing. I'm just like, oh, I think I'm going to do this thing now. And you know, next thing, I, well, it's it, like when I started podcasting, I, mm-hmm. I was I was writing for um, 
a comic book fo- focused geek blog. Um, mm-hmm. And I was definitely like the comic book and RPG expert there. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, we should have a podcast. And like, I don't know how to do that. I'm like, well, I bet I could figure it out. And next thing I knew. It can't be that hard. Yeah, next thing I knew, it was like, hey, can you edit these these podcasts for us? I'm like, am I am I an editor now? Thing? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> what have I done? I think I accidentally picked up another hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, though, that um, – I think that they, they end up kind of all relating together in some way. Like, like mm-hmm. there's a facet of, of I'm going to go ahead and say our personality is not that we're the same, but it's you know, um, lots of similarities, very obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, um, where like, it's, it's like, yeah, but like, I can almost make this like perfect thing. Um, if I just learn a little bit more here, I guess I'll just learn. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm just going <laughs> to do that now. Um, keep focusing. Keep, I can yes, do it. I, I know I can do the thing. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, have you had a chance to play a lot of different superhero role-playing games? I have, um, right now I'm GMing a masks actual play for happy jacks right now. Um, masks is one of my favorite. It's a power by the apocalypse system by magpie games um and i just love the like i said like new teen titans was in that box when i was a kid and i've loved teen titans especially like that era um yeah i just have lo- i love that and they're very te- they're, they're much more teenagers in that era than they are in like the more modern teen titans books um so i love kind of that flavor and masks just captures that so perfectly like you don't have perfect control of your powers and they do a really amazing job with the tie-ins with the different characters together with the character connections during character creation. Um, it's just like a really, really great, great flavor. And they just nail, they nail the flavor that they're going for so perfectly um, and make it very playable. It's funny because recently I write, reread uh, the entire first run of Mew, New Mutants um, yeah. just because I wanted to. And I hadn't really read it as a whole before. And as mm-hmm. I was reading through it, I'm like, oh, they definitely read this for masks. 100%. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then now the movie's coming out. So yep. in a couple months, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I so I love I love that. And I love PBTA systems on the whole. I really lo- think it's a really elegant dice mechanic. And a lot of the hacks are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really love Wild Talents. Um, which uses the ore system, the one roll engine. I've GM'd that a ton. Actually, that's the game I've GM'd more than anything else. Um, and kind of like Vampire, the Masquerader things, you just roll a ton of D10s, um, <laughs> and it's very fun. Um, but for that one, you're looking for like like matches instead of like dice totals, which is very interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, and it has a mechanic for the fights that is like one of my favorites, and really captures the vibe of like um like if you're looking for like teenage superhero drama masks cannot be beat it's the best Mm -hmm. if you're looking for a system that replicates like what an actual fight would be like for superheroes i haven't found anything that i like better than than wild talents because it's called the one roll engine because everybody rolls at the same time and your roles um basically um adjudicate what happens in what order Mm -hmm. So we all go around and we declare what we're doing 
um, you know, so if I'm aiming to shoot the guy's head and you're going to go punch the guy's head, you know, our roles will figure out, okay, you know, do you punch his head and then my bullet hits your hand or does my bullet hit first and you, your hand goes through like a cloud of blood. Like, so it's really fascinating and the combats go very quickly. Um, it's a very fun system. Hmm. Um, yeah, I will. I, I just as a note, I will be picking that up. Um, yeah, it's very good. I tend to I tend to collect superhero systems, so um, that's a good one. It's a very very good one. Um, yeah, those are my two favorites. I've played some other ones, um, but uh, as far as like true superheroes, like those are those are the best. Okay, very cool. That's that's the some good. I mean, Masks is just a great game. I've I've played that a few times and. And not nearly as much as I want to, um, <laughs> but uh, that's that's awesome. My my first game that I got really into was the Phase Rip Marvel Superheroes. Um, oh, nice. So, uh, and I actually have a custom shirt that I wear to conventions that says "Fighting in Agility and Strength," and it's got the whole Phase Rip thing in it. And people are like, cool. oh, "Where'd you get that shirt?" I'm like, "I had to make it." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um. Now, uh, with and and you're you're playing lots of different games at this point, as you said. Yeah. Um, Happy Jacks has a ton of content. Um, Me too. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's really awesome. I mean, <laughs> like, well, it, I can remember um, just listening to like Happy Jacks, like just listening to a few episodes of Happy Jacks here and there, and like, oh, this is really cool. I never listen to any podcast for more than a few episodes unless yeah. it's politics because I like to just like threaten my brain with that. But, um, <laughs> but it, I, I listened to happy jacks for a while and I went back to it here and there. In fact, I think I'm probably still subscribed, but like since I've kind of gotten away from it, you guys have so much stuff and I'm like, Oh, I just want to download the entirety of a show and listen to it. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And I have more time to listen to podcasts now, which is also a, a thing that may happen. Very helpful. Yeah. Um, talk to me about like what what building that felt like. I mean, obviously you started, you know, with fourth edition stuff, but what was it like to grow something to what it is now? Oh man, like unexpected and unplanned which is probably not which is the honest answer but probably not the one like everybody wants to hear so yeah happy jacks we had our 10th anniversary like last year so we're in, we're in like our 11th year which is mind-blowing um and yeah and like i said before like we started as rent fair musicians like between shows hanging out and like hey we have fun with this there's this thing called a podcast because podcasting was still fairly new. Most people didn't know what podcasts were a decade ago. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it was, and it was this very small group of, of tabletop role-playing shows at the time. Mm -hmm. um, there was like kicked in the dice bags and fear the boot, fear the boots still around too. Um, there's uh, I think role-playing public radio was right before us or right after us, I don't remember. But most of the other ones have pod faded by now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just because keeping up a, a podcast for 10 years is like, no, no, we didn't plan that. Like we just, but for sure we'll be on to more important things with our lives in 10 years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of these things that just, 
like more people got involved and we just kept doing it and we got you know our formatting really you know tightened and then we moved eventually like our first season or two is just us kind of con like conversing talking about it and then people started writing in emails just randomly from like all over the place all over the world um so then we switched to a little bit more of a format where we're basically answering questions now so that's that's been the format for years at this point um and yeah we're really lucky that we have this base of people around the world we've you know, we've, we started marking it where on a, on a map thing, we finally, um, we've, I think Africa was our last continent and we got that one. And I think four years ago, five years ago. Um, but we even have one from Antarctica because we made them. Yeah. We thought, no, no, no. And so like, you have to send photographic proof and they totally did. And I, we don't know where they are. Cause it's like top secret. We think they're on some sort of research or military base or something mm -hmm. down there. But it's like them with this penguin, like with the Happy Jacks like sign they're holding. <laughs> so it's either very convincing Photoshop, which I'm pretty good at figuring that out because and my husband does a lot of that, or it's like a legit. There's a military base where they're listening to Happy Jack stuff somewhere in Antarctica. Go fig. Um, <laughs> so and then uh, people wanted to hear us play because we were like giving advice about gaming, and they really liked our advice. So they're like, we'd love to hear you play something. So we started doing APs here and there, um, just as podcasts. And then eventually, uh, I think it was three or four years ago now, we started um, streaming too. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so now we have three or four games streamed a week, plus every Friday we have our Friday Advice Show. And uh, I am the lucky person who gets to run like our volunteer cast of about 35 people and like do the spreadsheets to make sure all the games are always full and all the things, so <laughs> I'm so, not sure how I got that hobby added to my list, but <laughs> but it's been pretty amazing. Sometimes we magically invent chores to support our hobbies. <laughs> right, that's exactly what happens. Um, I think the, the most interesting thing has been watching how the hobby has grown and taken off mm -hmm. um, and also become much more inclusive. Um, when we started, the podcast, um, I was definitely one of the only women in podcasting at, at about tabletop RPGs. Um, and we'd go to conventions and stuff and there weren't as many women. There were a lot of women, I think, in the hobby, but it hadn't become a safe enough space for them to like come to things like conventions, I think, very regularly. Okay. Um, and I know we got, I mean, you know, I, I talk about how great some of the emails are, but we, we would also get emails, obviously we wouldn't read them on air saying, you know, why do you have this girl on the podcast? Why do you have this woman like, like very negative about having a female voice on the, on the podcast. Um, and then just seeing slowly. And I think a lot of it has had to do with um, the hobby kind of changing to become more accessible on the internet. Mm -hmm. I think that's really brought a lot more women into the hobby because you don't have to go up to a message board now and pull off some random stranger's phone number and go meet at their house to play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's like, you know, that's a very dangerous situation for anybody. But you know, as a woman, especially, I, that would 100% be a, a giant barrier if I had had to do that to get into my first games. You know, if I didn't already know people who were playing and know that I could trust them, like I probably would never have gotten into the hobby. I listen so as the, a large, yeah. hairy, white dude. That's <laughs> terrifying to me. Like, mm -hmm. you no, know, like of course it's going to be 
you know, if, if you're, if you're not into those, those handy categories, like that's going to be a weird thing. Yeah. So I think the fact that now you can sign up, you can play games on, you know, back then it was Skype and now it's, mm -hmm. you know, Discord and uh, all these other ones, uh, Zoom. Um, I think that's really made it so people, uh, so women and, you know, people with disabilities, people who are in other minority groups where it's not necessarily safe for them to just go anywhere. Um, you know, I think it's really opened up the hobby and you can see that reflected. And I, I've seen that reflected in, convention going as I go to, uh, you know, as I'm still going to conventions many times a year and I'm seeing just how like the fan base has changed and it's mm -hmm. been, that's been fantastic. It's been really, really powerful and exciting. That's I, it's funny cause that's actually what brought me back into it. Um, mm -hmm. I was, uh, I, you know, I was gaming through the eighties and nineties. Um, I'm old by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that, <laughs> but I am, um, but I was gaming through the eighties and nineties and then, you know, third edition and 3.5 came out and I was kind of like, eh, you know, this is, I guess, fun still. Um, but I was mm -hmm. dropping that question mark at the end of that. And I, I don't know. I just, I kind of was like, yeah, I'm kind of done with this for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was, it was truly, uh, you know, it was part of it was me going, I miss some of these old games that used to be around. I wish they'd come back and they started to, and I was like, yeah, it's weird. And then they were like coming back and like people were playing them that I never sat down at a table with before, no matter how many conventions, mm -hmm. you know, there were women and there were queer people and there were yeah. people of color sitting down at these tables. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like I want to yeah. be part of this now. Um, yeah. So um, I, I, I can totally understand. And I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm I'm being uh, hyperbolic by saying that I think Happy Jacks was probably a big part of that um, because it was definitely recommended to me by people that had kind of gotten into the hobby from listening to you guys. So mm -hmm. I just want to make sure Thank that you. I threw that out there. I like to think that, um, yeah. you know, I, I have gotten a lot of emails over the years from women who have said, hey, you know, I heard you on the show, you know, when, you know, and it made me think that I could do this too, mm -hmm. um, you know, or that I was really interested in this or I'd played once with, you know, one group and then, you know, I had to move and I couldn't find another group. So like having, you know, and we, and I'm not the only woman on Happy Jacks by any, any means. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of like the longest, the longest running, but there's, we have many, many now, um, you know, so having that, um, you know, uh, presence for so many years like especially when it used to be a much more rare thing mm -hmm. um and then now especially with our streaming we work really hard at um diversity and um making sure that we have lots of people of color and things like that and our and and different lgbtqia um representation disabled representation as much as possible for each one of our games because it's important um, especially now that we have the visual medium mm -hmm. to really be showing like the, the diversity back when it was just podcasting, you know, it was harder to tell what the makeup of a game was when you were listening to an AP. Sure. Um, but you know, now people are looking and they're tuning in, they want, you know, and a lot of them don't know if this hobby's for them. So seeing someone who resembles them or has a shared experience with them, um, is very powerful. And it, I think that's one of the biggest things 
that's contributed to the boom in the last few years. Like a lot of people say, oh, critical roles, um, you know, popularity. Well, yes, I think that does have something to do with it. I think the streaming component in general with everyone, you know, and all the different ones, um, you know, there's there's so many so many streams out there now that have different representation. I think that people being able to see themselves in tabletop role playing and seeing themselves represented has been actually the biggest contributing factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and and um, and you know, I feel like there's also been a few people that have said, "Well, I don't like this," and I. I Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely I don't feel like that's a huge loss because I feel like those are the people that I would looked at and and went, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't think we really lose them, unfortunately. <laughs> um so I I find myself the the brunt of a lot of a lot of that on the internet and yeah. things like that. Um but you know, most of those people don't leave the hobby they continue running their game in whatever misogynistic you know um, bigoted way they want in their living room with their you know four closest friends who are also probably bigots and misogynists um and they can do they can do that i mean that's the that's not the great thing but that's the great thing about this hobby is like you know if you if you're not streaming you can run it however you want sure you know, if you and your group are, you know, enjoy certain things, then that's fantastic. Like, if you're having fun, great. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, there's still those those people who long for the old days who never. A lot of them, just with their own privilege, just never recognized the gatekeeping that was happening. Yeah. Um, and now they feel, you know, they it a lot. And you know, there is the the component of for a very long time tabletop role-playing games, you know, all these kind of nerd, you know, hobbies that we love so dearly were a way to empower people who felt very, you know, unempowered in their real lives. You know, that was, you know, a big thing for video games. You know, for me, MMOs, that was absolutely kind of an escapist empowerment fantasy. And, you know, for a long time, that's what tabletop was for a lot of people. So to see the thing that made them feel powerful suddenly make them feel not powerful, or maybe they don't know everything about it, or that they have to watch what they say, you know, at the gaming table. It's a it's a hard adjustment for people. Yeah. Um, it's one they have to do. I'm not making excuses because they're assholes if they don't make that adjustment. But you know, it's something that's it, it it's a it's a changing culture that is we're still really working through. I think as a hobby and as a as a community. Well, I, I like to think of it, um, and, and I, I, I like to take this approach with a lot of things, as a pyramid, whereas the more you expand the base, the higher the top, the tip of it can grow. And yeah. the other analogy I use is that I think there's a lot of, of dudes, and I, I, I know that this is not, this is being reductive to a certain segment, it's not all of them, but I do call it white guy pie, where they're like, there's a pie, and there's only so much pie. And if I lose some of my pie, that means I don't get as much pie. And I was like, that's not the way it works. It's just not. No, that's no not. especially with role-playing games. It's like yeah. you have your game in your house. Like no one's taking any pie from you. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it, so I think that's the 
that's the, the the frustrating thing too, and that's a great way of like kind of describing it. Is they feel like the shares of this thing are running out and now being given to other people who, and and nerd community has a problem with this in general. Is um, kind of like ha hating on newcomers, mm -hmm. um, and like oh well, you've only been a fan since da da da. Well. You know, and I <laughs> still run into that all the time. I'm in a bunch of D&D groups on Facebook, and that actually happened to me, like, yesterday. Like, <laughs> and in these groups, like, I don't, like, represent myself as, oh, I'm, you know, Kimmy from Happy Jacks. I, you know, GM two games a week, and I run, you know, I play in three games a week, and I give advice to people all over the world about role-playing games. I'm just, like, you know, it's my, my Facebook name, which is, like, my real legal name, and, like, it's my fourth grade teacher picture and like all the all the the Monday very much the the Diana Prince to my Wonder Woman of nerddom and uh <laughs> and yeah I was like talking about uh what was it oh uh GM PCs and the, the problems with the GMs having a, a a consistent player character that they play that goes around at the party mm -hmm. as opposed to like just an NPC that floats in for certain stories and things like that um and like I was talking, and this is just a random dude on the internet. I was like, "Well, you know, sounds like you had a bad DM. Don't worry, Kimmy. There's good DMs out there. You'll find one one day." I was like, "Wow." Uh, yeah. <laughs> and like I was like, first off, you have no idea what my experience with tabletop RPGs is. So, like, that was a very condescending reply. Also, here's my essay on why this is a bad idea, and then I just never got a reply to that essay. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it was yeah. close to an essay anyway. But it was just, you know, it's one of those things. And he, like, of course, before that, he prefaced with my 40 years of DMing, I've never had a, you know, a player complain. Yeah, and it's just like like this whipping it out measuring stick thing that we tend to do in geek hobbies, um, you know. And it's just like, like that doesn't matter. Like you can be a fantastic, you know, I mean, there are new players that I play with that are so much better at, you know, just like memorizing game books and things than I am just cause that's just not my biggest strength. Like I, I'm great at taking all the notes I need so I can run games well, but like, oh, my, my friend Pooja, who's, you know, jumped in and is playing a bunch of our games at Happy Jacks right now. She's like a mechanics wizard. Mm -hmm. Like she can read a book and just like absorb their knowledge, like through magic, like by touching it or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm just like, that it, yeah, I don't have that. That's fantastic. That's, yeah. I mean, it's funny too, because I, I feel like, you know, I, I've been playing for ages and ages and I can, and I, you know, and, and, and yet, I don't use this as a cudgel. I, I have, I've discovered over the last like five years that, Oh, I didn't know shit. Like, like I was playing like an idiot. And then, and like, I feel like a lot of these, and I mean, I'm not saying that they're necessarily idiots. Um, I like that. I keep throwing caveats into what I'm saying about <laughs> this, this toxic group of people, but yeah, you know, there's a good chance that if like I learned to play with those people, and I'm sitting here going, oh, I was a bad player. I was a bad GM. Like, there's a good chance they're bad GMs. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, that's 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 a thing. Like, you you can always learn more. Um, I will say, I do love to throw around um, the the length of time I've been ga gaming when people throw that at somebody where I'm playing with. 
because that's when it gets to be like, you know, uh, you know, Oh, you're playing masks. That's cute. I've, I've, I play champions. Mm -hmm. Cool. I play champions first edition. Yeah. (laughs) You know, huge sledgehammer. Yeah. There's a, there's a reason why these games have many editions because each one makes them more palatable for, or at least that's the intent. Sometimes they, fail miserably at that. But, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a reason that many of us have migrated away from, you know, some of the, those those first games. Um, <laughs> and there's new stuff out yeah. uh, that that streamlines it, um, you know, and and I, I mean, I, I, I do nostalgia too. And every once in a while I'll be like, oh, I need to go back and play that. Um, but, you know, there's, there's yeah, it's just frustrating because it, the fact that you played D and D first edition doesn't make you any better at playing D and D fifth edition. Right. Because they're completely different. They're I mean, that's like, that, yeah. yeah, that's like being like, well, I used to read the encyclopedia. That's so much better than, you know, having the internet. And it's like, no, yeah. no, it's not better. It's just different and older. Um, and I, you know, it's like, I say that as someone old enough to have actually used encyclopedias, oh, yeah. um, you know, but it's like, those are two, they're, they're not comparable. They're not necessarily the same thing. So it's cool that you can whip it out and like have that long length of time that you get to measure and wave in people's faces. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be any better at it than someone who's picked it up more recently. Right. I, I'm more interested in like the lessons you've learned from having done that for so long. Like, like that. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a more important thing. I can remember I played uh, games with a guy who had memorized a 1917 encyclopedia and I, and he used to tell this to people and, and you know, this was his point of impression <laughs> and he says it to me and I go, so you know, a whole bunch of things wrong. And he got very upset. I wasn't invited right. to his house, um, no. but you know, it's the 1917 encyclopedia. Yeah. I can't even begin to name all the things that are wrong with that encyclopedia. <laughs> So many things. Right. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so, um, so uh, I, I now that we've been kind of talking about gaming, we, I'd like to chat about how you got into making your own thing. Oh yeah. And um, I'll, yeah. I'll preface this with, I know that Decima is the first game that you started to design. It's not the first game that you finished because Virgins no. and Fictions is the first game you finished. Yes. Um, so uh, let's talk about <laughs> where, how that came about. Yeah. Um, okay. So Decima was sort of um, inspiration by necessity, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Like we were talking about, I GM a bunch of different systems and um, I love PBTA. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, specifically the character connection aspect of it. I was finding that when I was playing PBTA, uh, PBTA games and games that had similar mechanics in their character creation, um, it was just, the games just got warmed up faster. Like everybody jumps into session one, knowing how they kind of know each other, knowing some relationship dynamics with each other. Um, you know, there's not that awkward, okay, our characters have known each other for years, but we don't really know you know, we're still feeling it out as players. Um, and it, there, you know, I, I just loved that aspect of it. So I found myself when I was GMing like Wild Talents, like Wild Talents doesn't have that. So I would, you know, steal the character connections from 
uh, a comparable PBTA hack, depending on what flavor of game I was running. Um, and I'd throw those in there during character creation, um, you know, and different things. And I was also pulling things from like microscope and um, the quiet ear to kind of like build locations with my players as a session zero tool. Um, and a bunch of the GMs I know were also doing some something similar um, to kind of make session zero, not just about going over safety tools, but also like let's collaboratively kind of create this place where we're gonna work in. Cause it really benefited starting in session zero or starting at session one, you were able to just like jump into things in a whole different way than if you didn't do it that way. Yeah. Um, so I finally just like, why are we all like reinventing this wheel? Why are we shoehorning these things? Cause like microscope and the quiet year are great for creating locations and stuff. But that's not really their purpose. Right. Like we're sort of shoe shoehorning them into it when they're meant to be narrative games on their own. Um, so it's like, wh why don't we just make a tool that's generic, that's system generic, that can do all these things? It, you know. So that's where I kind of got the idea and uh, started running with it. And I, <laughs> I frantically called a couple of my friends like at like a Wednesday one night. Like I'd spent the last two days like frantically writing in a notebook um <laughs> super jumbled mess and i was like i have this idea for a game can you come over to my house right now and they were great <laughs> and they did so we played like the very first rendition of what en ended up becoming decuma which is like these really badly written out charts with like this old set of tarot cards i had and at the time i didn't know much about tarot because i hadn't really i was just starting on this idea so i hadn't done Stay a ton classy, of research into it yet um, and it worked and we like it, 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 we had these this cool campaign all planned and everyone's like, oh, oh, now we're not gonna play this campaign, huh? I was like, no, we're just testing this game. And it's also like midnight and I have to teach tomorrow, so I've got to go. But, <laughs> um, and then it just kind of grew from there. So basically what it is, Decma is a tarot card inspired, tarot card based generic system that creates character connections um, between PCs uh, creates a location, including like a basic map with, um, so everyone has kind of reference points and knows where things are. Um, cultural aspects like slang terms um, and superstitions mm -hmm. and also NPCs. Um, and then the last thing it creates is also like world dynamics. So not just what are the connections the characters have to each other, but you know, what is the group's reputation in the world? Does anybody owe us money? Do we owe somebody else a favor? Like all these things that really give the GM a ton of stuff to work with when they're starting the campaign or when they're planning the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, so it does that. Uh, if you played like for the queen, it's very mm -hmm. similar to that. Or like the quiet year where you get a hand, you get a hand of cards and you flip them over. And then there's like questions there that are prompts. Um, like I said, I'm a fourth grade teacher. Questions are a thing I'm good at. Um, <laughs> so you play for, it usually takes like 40 to 90 minutes, depending on how verbose your group is. Mm -hmm. um, and you end up with all these things to kind of like launch a campaign and it works with any system or setting. Um, and yeah, people are really liking it. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> it's, it seems, um, I mean, I, so I listened to you on SAS Geek. Um, mm -hmm. And I did. I, I really enjoyed how many times uh, uh, both of them kept saying, "I really want to play in this game." <laughs> like, yeah, you know, as as you're as you're building this, and I and I think I, I love the fact. I, I recommend anybody listen to that if if they're interested in in mm -hmm. Decima. If you're into RPGs, you should definitely be interested in Decima right now. Um, 
but um, there's my touch for you. Um, but, thank uh, you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but um, goldcastlegames.com/slash/kickstarter. Okay, now the <laughs> yes, and the also chilling is done. Be in the, the show notes <laughs> and everything. Thanks. Um, yeah. But it, but I uh, it, like it's the it's really built to to build something compelling right off the bat, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And that's not a thing that that Microscope does. And um, I've never played The Quiet Year, um, but I've, you know, I've listened to actual plays and stuff like that. And like, same Mm -hmm. thing, like, like that, that tells a complete story, but it's not, it's not for your new story, you know, Um, and I enjoy how how Decima does that. And I did immediately get like, oh, this is like a For the Queen style thing. Um, and I almost feel like for the queen has almost created this new, like subgenre of RPG. Um, yeah, they, they, they dub it, uh, descended from the queen. Descended so, from the queen. Oh. Yeah. So if you make a, a hack, cause there's a bunch of for the queen hacks out there now, um, the, the term you're supposed to use when you're creating it is descended from the queen. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. That's yeah, it's very cool. I have a couple of my friends who are working on like horror versions and different things like that. It's pretty fun. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I definitely, I definitely have an idea that I need to <laughs> play around with with that. Um, but um, I've, I've had Alex on my show twice. Um, nice. And uh, she inspired me to want to interview people, and then she also um, inspired me to want to start creating games. So um, it's, it's cool that uh, like. I love that she's kind of created a subgenre. That's so awesome. Um, yeah, but well, I, it really sh- it really showed that like card based mechanics can be something really viable and become really popular. Yeah. Um, because I love card based mechanics, um, especially for things like, um, I, like I chose it specifically for Decima because you're not it, you know unlike like die roll tables, there's not going to be a repeat. Yeah. Like you ask a question on a card, you discard the card. You know, you're not going to get that question again where, you know, if you do traveler, things like that, character creation, like there might be repeats sometimes. You might have the same, you know, the same thing. Um, so that's the the really cool thing about card mechanics. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of card. Not not to talk about, not to be the, the, the grognard who was talking about old <laughs> games again, but um, okay. my favorite version of Marvel games was um, the Marvel superheroes adventure game which had a deck of specialized cards that you made your characters with (laughs) yeah Um, and you it was not balanced at all which was one of my i love games that are not balanced uh, right because the world isn't balanced and you know and it's i don't know not not to be like oh the world isn't fair but no that's not what i mean i just yeah it's fun to play in in those those elements um so yeah I, i um I, I love I love playing playing with cards. Um, I love the idea that it's the game before the game that you can play. Um, yeah, and that's a really cool thing. Um, but while that while you were developing this, you came up with versions <laughs> of Vixens. Yes, also, which is um, available now <laughs> on Golden Lasso Games. Um, yes. Yeah. So let's. How did that come about? So. Um, Decima has been in the works for a while now. Um, I did some rounds of it with some uh, very, very prototype cards. They're basically like Miss Cleo cards I bought with like 
address labels on them with <laughs> questions on them. So I did the rounds at a couple conventions. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of feedback there. Um, came back, made it a PDF, and uh, released the beta into the world for feedback. Because um, that was something that I thought was really, really important to do. Um, just for sensitivity reasons, for making sure it was as um, system and setting agnostic as I thought it was. Um, and it turned out I got some great feedback that made it even much better than it would have been if I just released it. Um, but while it's happening, like that takes months. Mm -hmm. And thank you to everyone who, like the hundreds of people who were great enough to like try out my crazy game. Um, but you know, you're sitting on your hands, you're like, okay, and you're nervous about your thing. And every few days, somebody like writes to you about what's wrong with it um, nicely, but it's still like criticism. Sure. And um, in the meantime, I got involved with the itch.io community, which is uh, itch.io. Um, and it's a website and platform for independent game creators. And it really was developed for video game creators. And that's what most of it is. But there's like this very niche community of tabletop gamers who are on there who are releasing all types of, of role playing. And some of them are tabletop. Some of them are narrative. Some of them like, like literally anything you could think of. Um, it's being created on there um, and usually sold from a for nothing to like $5 as PDFs. Um, and so I like, I had a bunch of friends who were releasing stuff on that while I was working on Decima. So I got involved on that and just really loved it. And they have these things called jams where not a contest, but it's like, okay, over the next two weeks, we're all gonna make games with this theme. Mm -hmm. And then everyone just kind of like, you know, pass each other on their back and get some eyes on your, your designing and get feedback on your designing. It's a really cool process. And one of the themes was uh, folklore. And that's something I love. Like I love mythology, I love folklore. Um, I've been a history teacher, um, you know, that in teaching fourth grade now, one of the things we talk about is folk tales a lot. So something I'm very educated in and versed in. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, so all these people are doing this thing. We had like two weeks to get it done. And I'm trying to think of a, you know, what What do I want to do? Like a lot of people are doing games based on a specific tale they loved or fairy tale or story. Um, so I, I was looking at it and there were so many I liked. And then I just started thinking about the idea of women in a lot of these these story mediums mm -hmm. in mythology and folklore um, in all these these kind of uh, oral traditions. No matter where you look in the world, there's these tropes that are pretty much universal. There's always like a few that break the rules, but those are, you know, uh, those tend to be you know, the exceptions more than the rule. So, you know, there's like the prize who's, you know, that's the princess in the tower who doesn't have any speaking lines for the whole thing. And, but she's in trouble. And then the, the knight or the prince or whoever saves her and then they marry. She still doesn't get to speak after that. <laughs> like, you know, there's, you know, the basic thing, the uh, sleeping beauty type, type character. And then there's like the, and there's a bunch of tropes of that. Then there's, uh, you know, the, the wise old woman who, you know, gets painted as a witch because she's knowledgeable and doesn't necessarily conform to society's norms. Usually she's not pretty. Um, you know, there's the, the smart, uh, the, the smart woman who is beautiful and things like that, but is overlooked. So a lot of times she'll use her her wisdom or her knowledge to save a male character who then will show his, you know, gratitude by marrying her because that's 
all she needs in life. Mm -hmm. um, so there's all these tropes and like it's it's universal through many cultures. Um, so I decided to play on that idea. So basically the idea of virgins and vixens is you start off as a virgin or a vixen, one of these tropes of good or evil women um, on folk tales. The, the character sheets I'm super proud of because <laughs> you, cool. you print them out. Yeah, you print them out and then you fold it into a little storybook. There's like little hinges and all the things. Yep. Um, so, and then you you pick five words off the list to describe your character. So if you're the prize, you might be beautiful and charming and helpless. You know, there's some positive and some negative ones. Um, there's no way to create a super effective character with any of the, you know, any five of the words that are listed. You're not gonna be able to like rock at anything. Um, depending on your play, the playbook you pick, you might be smart, but you know, yeah, desperate or something like that. So there's there's good and bad for both. As you play through, there's a dice mechanic. It's similar to PBTA, but I changed the the ratios a little bit on it. Um, so basically, you roll three dice. If it's one of the words that's, if you're using one of the words that's circled, like if you're charming someone to let you into the the castle then and you have that circle then you get to you pick the two highest dice mm -hmm. um if you're like trying to climb the wall and you've never been outside your palace before then you pick your two lowest dice because that's not the athletic is not one of the words you picked because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not there so then as you go through if you succeed on things that are at disadvantage then you get what are called empowerments um and slowly throughout the game as you gain empowerments you get to cross off some of the words you have circled you don't have to cross them all off, but if you're like, oh, helpless, I'll cross that off and I'm going to write in, I get to pick a new word. Um, so I'll put in, you know, capable yeah. or something like that um, or athletic because I climbed a wall and I figured out I could climb a wall. So you get to kind of uh, be, move away from that one dimensional trope and be <clears throat> become a more unique, fleshed out character who, you know, has had life experience. Amazing. Sorry, that was a really long explanation. <laughs> no, it's great. Um, I what I wanted to say is because I I also I've recently uh, gotten in the um, itch.io mm -hmm. games and and kind of been looking around there. It's it's one of the best ones I've seen on there. Um, oh, thank you. And I just happened to find it when when we first started talking about having you on the lounge. Um, so. Uh, I, I run into definitely, you've been talking tons about Decima. I definitely <laughs> wanted to, to be able to spotlight this other amazing thing that you've done. Um, I appreciate that. That I think is very cool. Um, and I'm yeah. very proud of it. It's one of those things that, like, I think Decima is a more useful thing for the gaming community at large. Mm -hmm. I think that Virgins and Vixens is a much closer representation of my personality and like what I like, I would like to continue creating for tabletop role playing. Um, Cause I, I actually really have fallen in love with kind of the mechanic and the system that I created for it. I'm still trying to think of like a cute name for it, but I do want to do um, more games with that same mechanic with other things. I think it would be a really great system for kids actually. Yeah. I so was thinking I, the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it, well, it's it seems like a real. I I really want to play it, and that's that's one of those things that you know. I mean, mm -hmm. I say that with a lot of games, but when I when I was reading through it, I was like, oh, I made sure that I had all the the sheets, and I'm like, 
Should mm-hmm. I print these up right now? Like, <laughs> I don't have anybody to play with right now, but <laughs> I was ready to start now. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's funny because it's gotten um, a lot of people are like say that, but I've there haven't been a lot of people who've wanted to run it mm-hmm. because I think they're a little bit nervous. Like all the all the all the playbooks are meant are, are based on tropes of women. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't it, it says in the rules you don't have to play them as women. Like you can play them as other um, you know, we I mean, because a lot of the tropes also can apply to other other um genders or however people identify. Um, especially if you're, you know, LGBTQIA, like there's lots of um similar experiences where people are uh, are put into tropey categories or stereotypes that they can then break out of. So it, it can definitely be more universal than just w- the experiences of women. Um, but there's like hesitation for people sometimes to be like, I don't know if I want to play that. So it's interesting. I, it's just it's been a very educational thing to release. I've kind of I've kind of looked at it myself as you know because I'll run. I'll play or run anything is the, is the thing I always say at least once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually really interested in running it, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, because I'm a dude and, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of want to, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't mind like, like pushing that on mm-hmm. myself a little bit. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't mind poking at myself a little bit. I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah. Um, and well, and that's sort of the purpose of it. If the only people who play it are people who already know that experience, yeah, then that's fine. Like it's like, you know, that's great, but it's also meant to be a bit of a tool where people can maybe build up some empathy yeah. for like, you know, for so many of the stories that, that women are told their whole lives, like, a lot of Disney movies, like, and it's only been the last few years they've started breaking out of kind of that, that trope. Like even when they had a little bit more powerful quote, powerful, um, or like strong minded, um, you know, characters, like when I was, you know, of the age to watch Disney movies as they were released, um, you know, it was, you know, Belle from Beauty and the Beast and we had, you know, Jasmine from Aladdin and sure they were like smart and outspoken, but at the end, they still just got married, and that was okay. the end, <laughs> you know. So it's just now been the last few movies, even like Moana and things like that, where they have a little bit more of a a destiny or a, you know a, a little bit more of a, an ambition in their life. So you know, I, it, even that as a kid, it pissed me off. Jasmine sings so many songs about show you the world, and then she ends up marrying and staying in that castle and you're like i guess they get to ride on the carpet and see the world i don't know like, <laughs> but uh well you did great Aladdin. i'm gonna leave yeah i'm gonna go see that world because that's the i did the song about it that's great yeah. oh my god i love yeah. that so much. <laughs> right? it's like, like you had a giant thing if no, no follow-through on that on that plot point of that song okay got it um <laughs> So it's very strange, but, you know, and it's one of these things that is pervasive and still as, you know, a woman growing up in wherever you are in the world. Mm. Um, and that's one of the things on all of the playbooks, like I list a bunch of the myth, the myths and um, folklore and things from different places in the world. It was really important to me that it wasn't just like European fa- fairy tales. Yeah. 
Um, you know, so like in the in the book, there's, you know, artwork, there's traditional artwork from, you know, multiple countries and things like that representing stories from all over because um, these things are absolutely uh, part of that. Um, they're, well, they're very pervasive themes. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I, I actually really enjoy. Uh, in fact, that was the other thing I was looking at. It was like, oh, there's some there's a bunch of like folklore that I don't know that she's she's referencing here. I need mm -hmm. to read that. So always, <laughs> yeah. always a good thing. Um, uh, Kimmy, this has been a great conversation. The, the last thing I want to bring up um, mm -hmm. is um, the Mary Sue's. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> um, you're in a band too. <laughs> yeah, another hobby I collected. All the things we talked about with you. You're also in a band. Um, yeah. So tell me about the Mary Sue's. Um, the Mary Sue's is still a pretty new venture. Um, we're rehearsing and we're building up our catalog right now. Um, it's me and two of my best friends, Claire and Carol. Uh, we were in a band called the Mary Wives of Windsor at the Renaissance Fair for like. 10, 12 years, a really long time mm -hmm. um, together. I stopped doing the Renaissance Fair just because it's like one of those things that just takes too much time. Um, and after singing your heart out, uh, you know, in the hot sun of Southern California for a weekend in the summer, showing up and teaching all day on Monday, just like I aged out a little bit. I just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to have a voice on Monday. <laughs> um, so uh, I stopped doing that. I still go. I still love all the people there. It's amazing. But for a while, like I haven't been doing anything musical, which has kind of been like a little bit of a drag on my soul because I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, I especially enjoy writing songs, uh, so like lyrics and things like that. And it's always fun to go to the fair and like hear people say, I, I especially, I write a lot. Of, <laughs> if you listen to the Mary Wives of Windsor, I write a lot of um, like dirty songs. Oh, nice. We, <laughs> we sing, the Mary Wives of Windsor sing dirty songs on the NC-17 stage. Um, <laughs> so that's most of my repertoire is not something that's, child friendly um so i was looking forward to like writing songs uh again and playing music again and singing with my friends so i've been trying to put together a nerd band for like six years and things just keep not ha like it just keeps like oh i can't or somebody moves away so all these things so i finally was like okay no i'm doing this this year this is my goal i put it on my you know resolutions for 2019 um and yeah, and then Carol and uh, Claire, the thing that really locked it in, Carol's been on the roster for a while, but my friend Claire moved back to California from Texas. Um, so that just like locked it in. So we have uh, a soprano, a mezzo and a bass, and a bar sorry, a bass, uh, and an alto now, an alto who's, who plays bass. Um, so then I play an instrument called the bazooki, which is similar to a guitar. Um, and uh, Claire plays the keyboard. And so we have music that we make. Um, we released one song so far. Yes. Um, if you go to um, <laughs> youtube.com slash Mary Sue's Band, um, then you can see our, our <laughs> the child is this Baby Yoda themed Christmas music video. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Just, Everybody it's very fun. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very fun, and we are having too much fun. It was amazing, and um, yeah, it was it was great. And uh, <laughs> just we made that we we learned that song and recorded it and did that music video all in like forty eight hours. Uh -huh. So we were very sleep deprived, and we just you can kind of see as we're doing like the 
the singing and stuff on the video. Like we are just at some point, just like just messing around with lightsabers, like just having a crazy time. Uh, so much fun. <laughs> Um, and it was really fun to, to do all that. And so, and now we're rehearsing, we're hoping to have some more songs out. Some of them we'll do videos for, some of them we won't. Um, we're doing covers of a bunch of songs. We're doing like the, the, the Firefly theme. Um, we're doing some, yeah, we're doing some original songs. We have a bunch of gaming and D and D type songs that are coming up too. So yeah, that's sort of what the next few months have there if you go to marysuesband.com you can kind of follow us there we also have a facebook that has not a lot of stuff on it because we're mostly we've only been a band for about four months mm -hmm. so <laughs> we're still very new but um yeah we're just kind of building up we really need like at least eight solid songs to start doing gigs um okay. we've all been in different bands so we we're all pretty good at that part of it so we've got five right now we've got two that we're just introduced this last week at rehearsal. So we're getting there. We're hoping by like summer and fall to have like enough to like start doing little gigs and uh, to have an album's worth of, of music. We probably won't release an album because that's sort of gone the way of the dodo. Yeah, SoundCloud <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So all that stuff will be available on, you know, you can find us, our, the child is this, you can find on iTunes and Spotify and all those things, but we're probably just going to release things as like individual singles because yeah. nobody buys album, albums anymore. So you might as well just release all the songs individually and let people pick what they like. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, this has been, <laughs> I, I, this, this, this has been such a great ride for me. Interviewing oh, you, um, because you do. I mean, how can you go wrong if you start with Big Barda? Like that's, <laughs> that's like anything, anything that starts with Beta Ray Bell and Big Barda is just gonna be amazing. <laughs> oh my God, I want to see them. Do I want to see them fight or team up? Oh, oh. It, yeah. It needs to be one of those fights where they start fighting each other, and then like the bad guy shows up, so then they team up against the bad guy like partway yes. through. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. that's a great. Can we write that story? No, we can't. We don't. Know <laughs> Um, I don't need another hobby. Neither do you. <laughs> That's true. Um, but uh, but this has been been a really fantastic time. Um, yeah, I, I used to have an aunt that would say, "Idle hands are the devil's work." Um, the yeah. devil is not coming anywhere near you because you are very <laughs> no. busy. Super busy. <laughs> um, so, um, but I, I do end every show. Uh, with my guest um, telling the lounge lizards out there, the the my my fans, um, to or my listeners, I I don't know, but I I imagine most of them are listening in anger. Um, <laughs> but I, but I I, I to uh, to stay classy, um, and I was wondering uh, if you would be willing to do that. Um, Absolutely. It and I was going to make a big ask of you. And ask if okay. you would like to sing that. Oh. Um. <laughs> if you don't want to, that's perfectly fine. I have to think of like the tune to like sing it to. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> so just like stay classy? Yeah, yeah, just stay okay. classy lounge lizards. All right. Stay classy lounge lizards, stay classy like Beta Ray Bill. I love it so much. Uh, thanks again to the fantastic, amazing Kimmy Hughes for coming on the lounge, chatting with me. 
Um, it was a huge honor to have her on. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Go check out Decima. It is currently kickstarting. It is a thing you need in your toolbox if you play role-playing games. Uh, check out Happy Jeff. Check out the Mary Sue's. Um, support Kimmy in everything she does, of course, because you're awesome and she's awesome. Awesome works together. And that especially goes for when we're talking about this show, which is... The Lounge is a misdirected Mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs with lots of great shows like this one. Misdirected Mark. Chris, Phil, Bob, and Camden go live every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. The Lounge theme, and so it begins by artificial music, is used under Creative Commons 3.0. Support Contessa at Contessa.rocks. Find your host, Jesse Doc Edmund, at Doc Palindrome on Twitter. All the links from this episode can be found in the episode.